you aspire to be a superintendent, you think you know what the job might be like, but you may not really know. Bring together like-minded people. As well as organizations that are supporting school systems. And they bring the problem of practice with a group of people to talk through it, and then with vendors who provide solutions. And when you think about the notion of getting better, a lot of times people think that you're sick, but you don't have to be sick to get better. Having either that trusted network of colleagues when you're in practice or prior to practice becomes really important. That's what IEI does. Brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation where like-minded, hard-working professionals come to listen, learn, and connect. This week on Education Thought Leaders. Okay, welcome back to our podcast today on Education Thought Leaders. We have two IEI members and friends, Tom Burton, Superintendent of Princeton City Schools in Ohio, and Dr. Shelley Viramontes, Superintendent of Campbell Union School District in sunny California. We are so excited to have both of them here. Um, we normally have Doug on the mic, but he passed it off to me. So I am Sarah Kroll, the vice president at IEI. And with me, I have a new colleague, Anna Garcia, who is um, our new marketing coordinator, and she is going to be heading up the podcast with us. So welcome to both of you. Hi, Shelly. Hi, Tom. Hello. Oh, hello. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming on. I know you guys are busy, so we appreciate it um, for Anyone that doesn't know you two, I do want to give a little bit of background to um, give our listeners some information on who we're talking to. So Tom Burton, he has been in administration for nearly 30 years. His mission as super- That just means I'm really old. I was going to say, we shouldn't have put that. That, kind of, <laughs> that makes you sound like you're old. No, you're fine. You're experienced. Um, yes, his yes. mission as superintendent is to empower each student in preparation for college and beyond. He is a published author, most notably for his five-star rated book, The Mark of Leadership, Strategies for Leading with Purpose, Plans, and Passion. I'm going to have to read that. Um, as well as- My, my other... sister did that rating, by the way. It's the one rating? <laughs> yeah. The one my sister. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, I want a free copy. Um, his achievements don't end there. He was 2018 person of the year through the Sharonville Chamber of Commerce is was most recently elected as one of the members of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland's Educational Advisory Council. So all of those amazing achievements and joined here as well, we have Dr. Shelley Viramontes. Educational career spans nearly three decades and includes roles such as teacher, support provider, director of special education and student services, and even adjunct professor at the University of San Francisco in Santa Clara University. She also serves on a variety of educational boards, including the Association of California School Administrators and the Superintendent Executive Leadership Forum. Dr. Viramontes' exceptional leadership skills have been celebrated with numerous accolades, three of which are Women of Inspiration, Negotiator of the Year, and the Educator Community Hero. That's cool. What is the education community hero? I've never heard of that. Um, it's something that is done through our county council and it's um, partnering with mental health. And so we have a pretty exhaustive partnership. And so one of the agencies recommended me for that award. So it was very, wow. I was very honored to receive it. Awesome. And it's such a need right now, um, mental health, as we know. Um, so anyway, those are our two speakers today. We're so lucky to have you guys um, on the podcast, but more importantly, as part of the IEI family. So Tom and Shelley are members of our organization. We have about 80 members in IEI, 
and um, always looking to add superintendents from around the nation to join our institution. So if you are interested in membership, please reach out to us. There's um, a bunch of information on our website, but we would love to chat with you about that. And we have my new marketing coordinator, Anna, ready to work with us here on the podcast. So let's go into the questions. Um, we talked a lot about the shift with the pandemic and how things changed and we moved on to some online academies and things kind of obviously went on to virtual learning for a while there. And I'll let both of you answer, but are you currently doing any online academies still? And if so, are they for the teachers? Are they for the students or are you doing both? Shelly, if you wanna go first. Sure, I'll say yes and. Um, so we're doing some online academies for students. We're doing a lot of online academies for our teachers because we've transitioned to really fostering professional learning communities. So basically giving a menu of professional development and then also partnering with experts. So like UDL and our anti-racism work or the letters training for our early literacy work are a couple of examples uh, and then we also work with Stanford D School because we have a school that uses design thinking. And so we have some vetted trainings and then we provide options for the teachers to do these online. Some are on their own time and some are actually scheduled regular network meetings. Um, and then we are currently able to pay them for attending these additional professional developments. And our students, I wanna get into that in a little bit, but we do uh, a lot of different partnerships. The One of the benefits of being in the heart of Silicon Valley is having access to Google, Cisco, Apple, and, and their folks are really willing to support us and having them be able to be interviewed through Zoom as opposed to the travel requirements and all of that has been very helpful. Wow. That is, I mean, that being in that location is, that has so many benefits right there. Um, and when you talked about, well, first of all, two things, teachers getting paid for PD. That's awesome. That probably certainly softens when they hear they have to attend PD as well as getting to choose what they attend instead of everyone is doing classroom management, even though that might not apply to everyone. So that's really great. Is that menu option? Has that gone over well with your staff? Yeah, and 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 I want to be very candid. This is in addition to some of those uh, professional developments that we already needed to do. And then we're also um, housing the trainings kind of in this on-demand piece because, like you said, sometimes you don't need that um, behavior training on the day that it was offered, but all of a sudden a new student comes in and you wish you would have attended. And so now they can access the professional de development through our online portals as well. And before COVID, was it, it was just face-to-face. -face. You didn't have these options in this. We were already getting into them. This just, uh, I think this really expedited our ability to do this. Awesome. Yeah. I think that, you know, we talk about silver linings and we don't, you know, but I think that was one of them is the ex expediting of what are we going to do to make this work? forced people to do it. Um, Tom, are you guys doing anything similar to Shelly? Sure. Um, yeah, we still offer uh, an online academy. Uh, actually, it's just online learning uh, specifically related to individual needs. But we have, we've always had this innovation center actually the last three and a half years uh, pre-pandemic. 
And the Innovation Center is really awesome because it's flexible scheduling for all students. It's a half day in person and a half day online. Uh, we have like Workforce Wednesdays. And so we've really been able to kind of shift the narrative uh, for some of our students to really go outside the traditional thinking that uh, I think really holds us back uh, in school sometimes. Uh, we've really been able to raise the bar for those kids. Uh, and on a side note, you know, even during the, the end of the, what we hope is the end of the pandemic, we've had 80, over 80 students graduate already from the class of 2022 because we personalize individual learning, whether, and it's much more than just credit recovery. It's, it's actually allowing kids this flexible a model that we actually kind of forced with our hand was kind of forced a little bit with during COVID. And can they do that at home or is that in the, in the classroom, the like credit recovery type stuff? Well, that was just, that was a, a part of it, but uh, they could do it in person. They could also do it at home. So there's a couple different components to the innovation center. Uh, one is the in-person and the online program, which is what they would do. That's one situation. The other situation just completely online. So we have um, well over 100 students that are involved in that program. But the biggest thing uh, in the Innovation Center is that we're 712, and we've been able to really kind of, uh, like I mentioned earlier, change the narrative. But specifically, when you look at leveling the playing field for each of our students, regardless of wherever they come from, it's been amazing. We, they've done a, such an incredible job there by making sure that we meet kids where they are, which really is the essence of equity. It, it all, everything used to be so black and white and it can't be, there has to be a gray area. I mean, and with, with kids now having that option of meeting them where they are, making it easier for them. I just, I mean, it, it's unfortunate that it took this for us to realize that, but I think it was a shift in everyone's mindset to, to just have a little bit more compassion for what people are going through on an everyday basis. Um, and what was the word you said? Something Wednesdays. Workforce Wednesdays. So the teachers are doing PD and the kids are at home every Wednesday? No, no, no. Actually, they're still there. So there, there's always a, a professional development component uh, during the Wednesdays. But it's so amazing what they do. Uh, the kids can choose whether they go to do service or they participate in like right now we have a uh, construction challenge where they're doing design work with construction firms. They could go do um, artwork that they're actually going to give away or they put throughout the, the school. And again, the, a lot, some of these kids are really, uh, when you look at non-traditional uh, thinkers, so some of the kids want to rifle through school as fast as they can, and they have great aptitude. Other kids need a little bit different support, but the yeah. vast majority of the kids there are just amazing, hard workers and they're going to work, they want to be done, and they want to go directly into the workforce. So we really spend a lot of the Wednesdays honing in some of those uh, workforce skills that they need to be able to have them go directly into a, a high-paying job that's going to be livable wages to be able to help them kind of break some of the cycles that permeate not only our district, but the country. Um, I think that goes back to meeting kids where they are and that you know, that's something that for schools should never change. But over the last two years, a lot has changed. So looking at the coming months with testing, graduation, and summer school, um, how have your schools set up? Who gets to attend summer school? And um, how, how are the districts taking care of that? 
Shell, if you want to. Sure. I just I just wanted to actually sort of touch on a little bit of, of um, what was said about you have Workforce Wednesdays, we have Wonder Wednesdays. And I think it's interesting that we're actually a preschool through eighth grade school district. And so our focus is much more on the foundational components. But in those foundational components, we um, we recognize that academics weren't, you know, the basic academics were not going to get us where we needed to be. And so we also launched our profile of a graduate competencies. I know several districts have these or either portraits of a graduate, but we said, in addition to the basic academics, we need our students to have these skills of critical thinking, problem solving, innovation, empathy, and collaboration. And so we embed those into their learning and we do something called Wonder Wednesdays, which we embed in this, it actually came out of the pandemic because we needed to provide our teachers with a little more time to work with uh, on their planning because they pivoted so quickly to distance learning. We also were hearing from our families that they wanted something where they felt they could connect in. And so we did an interest inventory with our students, like what would you wanna know more about? And then we leveraged our community partnerships. And like one of the things that comes to mind is we have a local bakery, Manresa Bakery, and kids wanted to know how to bake bread. So they took that session and it was, and then we also had Google donate these um, science workbooks that were online science workbooks. And then they had their experts show the kids how to use the scientific notebook. Again, very, very hands-on type of experiences, but that was so well received that then when we return for in-person instruction, we've kept Wonder Wednesdays um, because it's a way to have our kids have relevant real world experiences, which I think is the same thing that um, Tom's talking about. And so I, I just mentioned that and didn't, then to answer the question that you actually asked, um, one of the things that we're really committed to in California uh, sort of did this maybe before some states where the local control funding formula, you get additional funding for students with generally uh, more need to or, or more cost to educate. So if you hit thir certain thresholds, then you get additional funding to support EL students, students who qualify for free and reduced lunch, foster youth, all of that. So there, there are more resources that come with um, students who tend to have more need. And so we design a lot of our programmings around that. And so just one quick example would be, California is not required to provide transportation, but we're providing transportation to our summer program because we're making, we're trying to make sure that we're, you know, barreling through the barriers that might prevent students from accessing the program. Programming. The other issue that we have, and we're not alone in this, but staffing. So we know staffing is a challenge, especially for our expanded learning team, which is our, you know, during the school year, we provide before and after school care. And then during the summer, we provide nine hours of academic and enrichment. But one of the things we've done is we've taken all of our employed staff and they're designated to support Title I student needs. And then we offer enrichment 
at the other schools that are fee-based because we know that we don't have enough staff to do it all. So uh, we really do prioritize the students who demonstrated more struggle during the pandemic in our effort to to give catch them up. But we're not just we're not really focusing on reading and writing in the typical way you would. We're contextualizing it so they have these real experiences. And then they see how the content is actually used in a real world um, problem solving activity. Right. Thank you, Shelly. That was a great response. It seems like you really got it figured out. Um, Tom, the same question to you. How is summer school set up in your district and who gets to attend? Sure. Uh, well, prior to COVID, what we did is we have we have eight elementary schools and summer school was hosted in two or one, depending upon the enrollment. So really during COVID, one of the things you really wanted to make sure, again, meet kids where they are. So we know that learning loss is real, whether it's summer slide, break slide, or COVID slide. And so we open it up throughout the whole district. So each elementary school will still host summer school. So it's open for every single student. So we're gonna meet them where they are. Then in the middle school, we're doing a couple of different things. One, we have a sixth grade camp that work with kids with transition as well. So we have that available. We also have some online uh, components of it for seventh and eighth grade, as well as some experiential opportunities that we're still creating. And I love what Shelly said there, because it should be in, in, in the context of kind of bigger picture than just opening up a book. Uh, in the high school, you know, we have a, a variety of, of opportunities for students. But the biggest thing I feel when you look at these, these uh, the whole, well, listen, let me back up. I have no problem saying this. We've had an inequitable system of education for years and years and years. 1890, committee of 10, all 10 white guys came together and said, this is the way education should be. Since then, it's primarily been the same, no matter what. So you're going to take algebra this grade level, or you're going to learn about Chaucer in this grade level. And so really to disrupt the education, that's what COVID did. Uh, I've had been blessed to be able to give this uh, keynote multiple places called it should not have taken COVID. And we know that it should not have taken COVID to have educators be appreciated. But at least for that year, last year, all educators, I mean, it was a love fest, parades, cards, phone calls. It only lasted a year because when he came back, people were mad about masks. They were talking about things that just flat out don't exist like CRT. There's nobody teaches CRT in schools. Virtually nobody. I really haven't heard about that. But so some of these things have really kind of changed the narrative, but it should not have taken COVID to show appreciation, to start funding the right way, like ESSER funds. You look at that, that's the way we should be funded. When you look at being innovative and creative and doing things and disrupting, it should not have taken COVID to do that. It's actually embarrassing for me to look back and say, why did it take a pandemic to have us as an educational community and specifically me do things that are disruptive when we know that they're not the right thing to do for kids or more importantly, that we can, should, and need to do more for kids. And so this whole uh, changing the way that we're looking, this whole seismic shift of thinking has really put a, a wear and tear on all educators, regardless of their role and the whole mental health perspective, which is why uh, the Sarah's point, which Shelly said was so on point, that whole focus on that mental health aspect. Um, one of the things I'm hearing from both of you, well, first of all, taking summer school 
and making it a place to go that is safe and that you get to do fun, real world projects, project-based learning. I mean, instead of just like pounding math and reading into these kids, maybe it that sounds a lot more fun and they will actually show up. And um, Shelly, you were, and I think you both mentioned, but I'm wondering how do you staff it you know, with this, with the shortages, I mean, if you're having summer school, Tom, at every single location, what is the, is it just the incentive that teachers are getting paid and they show up or how do you get them? Well, you know, I just mentioned the mental health of staff, so it, it would be uh, hypocritical of me not to address that specifically as you ask staff to do more work, right? So um, we do offer an additional stipend for, for teachers that sign up. And it's a scalable stipend. So, so often we're like, hey, we're going to give you $1,000 or 500 or 2000 or whatever the case is to sign up for this. And if you don't stay the whole time, then you don't get the stipend. But we know that teachers in a three or four week period of time are okay given a week or two weeks. So we try to scale it up, uh, you know, to really truly make sure that we're actually practicing what we believe in, which is true equity, right? So it's not just doing the same thing the same way every day and expecting different results. The other thing too is, and, and just on a little aside, I think one of the biggest things that occurred during COVID is that we, and I think we're gonna we're gonna come back to this uh, in subsequent years. We have been our own worst enemies. So we talk so often. In fact, Shelly and I and many of our colleagues. We see some of our friends or colleagues that have been in education that are leaving the superintendency, leaving education because of stress and anxiety and the pressure during COVID. But yet, when you look at what, had, what did we talk about when the superintendents got together? We talked about COVID. What did we do when we got together with staff? We talked about COVID. It just permeated every aspect of our life. So literally, it wasn't that long ago when I said to the staff, actually it was, like earlier this fall, I'm like, we're not talking about COVID, no more. We're talking about instruction. We're talking about doing what's best for kids. We're talking about changing the narrative of kids' lives so that they can literally live a life that they can imagine. And so that aspect, I think, is really important to bring out because as we unpack things and as you look at offering all these summer programs, we have to be willing to not have the conversation where we constantly talk about the pandemic. Yeah. And I think, you know, to be candid, we uh, have had significant staffing shortages and that's not really new to our area. You know, especially if you're talking about giving kids a tech-based experience, teachers can go to Google or Apple or Cisco and make a little bit more money than we're able to pay them in our education system. So we we continue to remind folks of the calling of being an educator. And But the way we approached the summer program, and thankfully we had started this prior to the pandemic, but we ask our teachers to do this core academic component, and then we provide these enrichment experiences to augment that through our expanded learning team. So we don't need all credentialed teachers to be able to do this. We do offer a nine-hour program that is uh, you know, pretty robust. We also work with some other providers who they come in and they do the coding or they do photography or whatever. And we also try to give kids some choice in what they're going to do. So there'll be theme weeks 
And we don't, I, I liked what you said about the scalable stipend. We've really said, hey, teachers, you guys are creative. We're more than happy with job share. You know, so if if you know you can't do the whole thing, let's get creative and see how much you can do. And that'll just get, yeah, more, you know, I think that when teachers are asked to teach what they are already teaching throughout the year, it's hard to ask for more. But if you're saying, hey, pick a different grade level and do some project-based learning or do some cool stuff, I mean, that certainly would make a difference um, to try to recruit some of those teachers to stay for the summer. Go ahead, Anna. So, Tom, you kind of mentioned, you know, you wouldn't have any more COVID talk. So let's definitely move on from that. I know the, <laughs> um, the last few years have been difficult for everyone in general, but through that time, there have been some great accomplishments and success stories. Are there any particular accomplishments you're most proud of, whether that be improved test scores uh, despite online learning or one of the high school sports teams making it to the playoffs? Shelly, do you want to take this one first? I would love to, and we don't have enough time for me to share all the things that I'm proud of. Um, you know, a couple of things that come to mind. We, we recently received the Hoffman Award. Uh, it's a local, it's, uh, you know, a, a Santa Clara County Award um, for our parent engagement. And we partner with Foothill College, and it's called the Family Engagement Institute. And we focus on um, the caregivers of students who would be first-generation college going. And we enroll their parents into the university and they take 10-week courses. And as a result of the participation and involvement of our families, it was originally to be a 10-week course. And now families have asked basically for the doctor, you know, first master's and then doctoral program. And we have had so many amazing things happen, like families actually decide to go into back to get their degrees that we do take uh, the families with their children onto the campus, the college campus. One of the things that this partnership did for us is we collaborate on what they're going to focus on in the lesson planning. And so the first thing we ask them to do is help parents understand the tools we use in education and kind of teach them some education ease because we have a tendency to put information out that if you're not familiar with education talk, you might not know what they mean. And so that's been very powerful. And so in our planning, we have gone from supporting our families to be advocates for their own children and to really be partners in their children's learning. Now we're um, challenging them to become advocates for children in general. And so moving them into how can you be in a, a school leadership role or a district leadership role and trying to build the partnerships up that way. So that's one. Um, the other one I will just say is um, our, the profile of a graduate competencies. We're getting a couple of different accolades on that because it does so much prepare our students. Uh, I believe we will have another pandemic in our future. The difference is we're, we're developing children with problem solving skills and an understanding that change is just part of the process. So instead of seeing the challenge, we look for the opportunity 
and we work our way through it and we iterate and we evolve and all of that. So those are a couple of things, but I got to, I got to hit my, in the heart and heat of the pandemic with the George Floyd incident, we decided that we needed to be more intentional around anti-bias, anti-racism. And we started that work during that time. And we said, you know, first we have to develop the racial literacy of our leadership team. So we worked on that. We spent a year on that. We had an anti-racist committee. They developed uh, uh, anti-racist commitment and statement. And then now it's evolved out to, you know, teachers taking professional development around UDL and anti-racism, anti-bias. So I think that's the one that I'm the most excited about. And um, the associate superintendent and I were just invited to speak at an equity conference at the end of the month uh, to share the work that we're doing there. Wow, Shelly, that is incredible and wonderful achievements, all of them. Uh, and as a first-generation student myself, I am very excited about your program. I know how valuable that is for parents and students alike. Thank you so much. Tom, what about you? I wanted to chime in like that 10 week doing those courses for parents, what a phenomenal, like I have not heard of a school district doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes we're just excited when parents show up to meetings or inquire about information, let alone taking these courses and actually learning the tools that their own kids are using in schools. So that is so awesome. Well, and one of the things I don't want to dominate the time, but one of the things that I'll share is a few years ago with some grant funds and then some general education funds, we um, put community liaisons in, in all of our, our, everybody has some community liaison. Um, our needier schools have full-time and our less needy schools have part-time, but um, they really have connections to the community they get people to sign up and they developed a campaign, you know, it's like, okay, now you have to invite someone you're ready to graduate. So what parents are you going to get involved? And we have had hundreds of parents go through these programs. And now that we have zoom that, that actually made it so much more accessible to our community. And we see a lot higher participation as a result of that. Yeah. Parents want to be involved. They just didn't have the tools before. Yeah. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Tom, same question for you. Sure. What so, accomplishments are you most proud of this year or in the past two years? Yeah, you know, I think part of it is the fact that uh, we stood together. Uh, right at the very beginning of the pandemic, I gave every staff member a teacher that said, we stand together, we are Vikings, we're the Princeton Vikings. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we had different theme days to really kind of make sure that we were still together. And then as we transitioned back, we were very deliberate with communication. So every week we had a question and answer or, and then it moved every other week with me, with the staff, with the community. We did a lot of outreach to make sure that the communication was everybody knew what we were doing, when we were doing it, and why we were doing it, which I think was really, really important. And sometimes what we do uh, in education, we do a great job of thinking people know what we're thinking in general. Like right now, I'm thinking something. You guys know what it was? Probably not. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So, so the reality is, um, you know, there are, there's a lot of little things uh, that were much bigger because of the pandemic and some of the uh, awards or recognition. Like, you know, we got the best communities for music education. Again, we've got multiple years, but again, it was 
doing things differently. It was amazing that we came together to even get that, put that application together. Tons of art awards. We have we have a fledgling um, DECA program or business program. And we just, first time ever, sent six kids to states. It was amazing. And just some of those little things, there's that stick-to-itiveness and that resilience of, of still meeting, of still practicing, and making sure that we're ready for any competition. When many of the schools around us eliminated their mask mandate, they were in school all last year. When we weren't, we did every other week until the end of the year. So all those things, I think actually getting to the finish line and how you got there uh, and finishing strong really truly mattered. I will say this, um, I love that parent group, that parent idea. One thing that came out when we really, you know, we always look at the whole um, equitable distribution of our district in general, making sure that when we look at our staff, that our staff is most represented uh, of our student population, more representative. And we knew that we we really have to, despite our best effort, going out everywhere looking and encouraging people to apply, we have a great group of uh, paras and instructional aides, educational aides that we can help. So we have this program, Grow Your Own Program. We partner with six different institutions. So irrespective of the education of one of our workers. So for instance, if you never went to college, no worries. There's a program you don't have to pay anything for to go to. If you have a two-year degree, same thing. If you have a teaching or not a teaching degree, a four-year degree, and you want to become a teacher, no problem. We got that too. So the whole thing, and this year we're looking at instituting, uh, we're doing a survey of all the kids right now. What are you going to do? What do you want to major in? Even though we've done that before, but we want to make sure. And those kids that are educators and those kids that really want to do stuff, we actually can hire them as paras and they don't have to pay a nickel for college. So if they're thinking about staying local and working and doing that, they're going to make money working in the field that they love, that they want to be involved with and be able to do that. So this Grow Your Own program has been unbelievable. And uh, we have 15, 15 participants in the Grow Your Own program. And then we're trying to look to expand it to our uh, graduating seniors. I actually met a superintendent from Arkansas when we were in Nashville for AASA and she was doing something similar with the student teachers and allowing them to start working with the kids early on. I mean, that's such a great idea because again, those student teachers are hard to find too. Um, while we are on the bragging of how awesome our districts are, no, um, I wanted to bring up Tom that I follow you on social media and there's been a lot of buzz around the Princeton STEAM Institute that you guys are doing. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is such a crazy story. I'm going to cut to the chase though. Although it's really dramatic to get to this point. We have uh, 120,000 square feet that's been given to us, actually $10 a year, 120,000 square feet, which used to be old Dillard's. And it's a huge resurrection. It's going to be a multi-use housing. It's going to be restaurants, entertainment center, dog park, recreation center as well. And we're going to be on top. We're going to be on second story. And it's going to be all built out for us for free, which is amazing to think about. We're going to house eventually 420 to 500 students in that facility. But science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, so critical. And we know, especially around where we are, we have Procter & Gamble, Kroger, Johnson & Johnson, GE, GE Aviation. 
And so always looking for engineering or that, as Shelly was talking about earlier, the problem solving, really kind of the innovation. So all of that, we know that um, we could create this environment. Now we have great programming anyway. We've had a STEAM and a STEM program, but the reality is being able to be even more intentional with using a, a project-based learning model to really kind of, really kind of get our students the greatest exposure possible. So as the kids matriculate, when they get into 11th grade, it's going to perhaps look like a half day traditional school, innovative practice. And then half the day, they'll be out job shadowing co-ops and so forth. Then the next year, we actually want to raise the bar even more to where the kids will have maybe a period in school, if that, whether online or they're directly into the workforce, uh, doing the work, getting money for college and or as you've done before with our business partner program help convince businesses that if you provide educational credits for for your employees especially just graduate high school you're going to be able to entice them so we've had as much as literally one company five thousand dollars a year if kids go there directly out of high school and it's not just going to college it could be technical training stackable credentials and so forth so Really excited about the STEAM Institute and uh, come check us out the fall of 2024. Wow, Tom, I really love that. I think it aligns perfectly with your mission of, you know, empowering students and preparing them for college and beyond, you know, whatever their next steps may be. And I love that you included the arts, you know, it's no longer STEM, it's STEAM. So I love that. Uh, Shelly, we are also very impressed with your district's AI Research Foundations program. I know this was developed and taught by graduate students from Stanford and MIT. That's very exciting. Uh, we would love to know a little bit more about that. So what can you share with our listeners? Well, uh, partnerships are kind of uh, at, at the core of what we do. And one of the things that I often say is the work is too big. So, you know, I, I want to partner with experts. I want my teachers to be able to focus on education. That's what they know well. And whether we're talking about bringing in AI experts or we're talking about mental health experts, I want my teachers to be able to focus on what they know and what they're, they're experts in and bring experts in. So this was a program that we did. Uh, we communicated it over the summer. It very much was an opt-in, however, and so students opted in. So we're also trying to augment those opt-ins with experiences to make sure that every student is going to have it, even if they don't have the um, encouragement to sign up, which is that's what this one took. So that's when we look at bringing people into the classrooms, either remotely or in person, so that they have an understanding of what what types of things might be out there. One of the phrases, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And so helping our children really understand all the different aspects of work that weren't around, at least when I was going to school, maybe they were when Tom was going to school. Um, so that's something that we're trying to do. And, you know, Unfortunately, I can't, I haven't been successful in getting my first graders internships at, at companies, but I'm not, I, I'm not closing the door on that. And uh, talking about pipeline, we actually also offer infant care. So there's your one up, Tom. I'm actually getting them in the crib and, you know, nice. we just go in there and we say, have you thought about a career in education? It's very compelling. 
But but actually, that was one of our innovative practices that came up out of a need because our staff was struggling with coming back when they had infants. And the program's not as big as we would like, but now we are able to literally have infant through eighth grade. So we've got a lot of different things going on. You mentioned proximity as well, Tom. The fact that we have Stanford down the street, we partnered with Stanford D Studio to um, do professional development. We reconstituted one of our schools, Campbell School of Innovation, and the whole platform is um, designing the learning around the design thinking model. And then we're using that as a lab school. And then we have either teachers go in and see the design thinking and how it's unfolding in the learning, or um, we provide professional development to teachers and spread those ideas around. Also, our, our work with Carol Dweck around, um, the, you know, uh, the growth mindset complements our commitment to, and this is from design thinking as well, this continual improvement. So we we tell the kids, you, you are going to fail. That's called learning. And so we want to fail small, learn fast, iterate, and keep going. And so those are the things that every student in our system is benefiting from. While some of the programs, like I said, that was a great research program. We also had a partnership with NASA a few years ago that uh, Discovery made a, a documentary about with our students competing in um, robotics and they had to manipulate a robot in space with the astronauts. Um, and so again, both Tom and I have talked about contextualized learning where kids can actually see what they're doing and why what they're doing matters. And I think that's where we have to go. Wow, Shelly, that is amazing. I never thought I would be, you know, jealous of high schoolers and middle schoolers, but it's making me wish I was back in school now. <laughs> Thank you so much. When we were in school, no, you, I mean, you guys were both talking about getting a feel for the real world and that didn't happen until you were in college. And then you were pretty much already too far down to change your mind. So you're like, this is, must be what I'm doing. And what a difference to be able to go see and feel what different workforces are like and mm -hmm. all the endless possibilities that these kids, you know, it, it used to just be so much, you have to go to college and what's your, what college are you going to go to? And we stopped teaching about those other skills and about, you know, the jobs that are so important. So I just, I, I think that both of you guys have so much going on in your district, so much to celebrate. Um, I just want to end the podcast with something like as spring is coming, I know it's warm in, in California, but Tom and I are struggling in the Midwest. Um, <laughs> it's getting warmer. People are getting, you know, excited the end of the school year and all the fun stuff that happens in the spring. Um, what are you most hopeful about just to close out this school year? You know, um, the, the word hope is not actionable. So I try never to use it. In fact, People make fun of me. Like if it slips out, they're like, don't you mean faith, Tom, not hope? So I have I have faith that, uh, you know, we're going to recharge and regroup and re-energize um, once school is done, that we're going to come back with a renewed sense of, of purpose and really make sure that each and every day is capitalized on creating opportunities for students to reach levels previously unknown. Our students are the best commodity that we have across this country. 
I believe uh, this is not going to sound um, very positive, but I believe that we we have failed them from time to time because of our own thinking. So that rejuvenation is coming back with a new way of thinking. Uh, that whole uh, re-energizing is coming back with that purpose of making sure that, like it's not okay for teachers and administrators or whatever to be on announcements, administrators specifically, be on announcements for 10 minutes, five minutes, two minutes, interrupting classroom instruction when we could handle that with an email. And it's not okay for a teacher to be outside in the hallway talking to one of their colleagues when they should be in there engaging students. Uh, but with that being said, I think the faith that I have is that as we end the year, we will have learned all these great lessons and we're gonna come back and we're gonna change and save lives each and every day. I like that, Tom. I, I And I too have faith. I think my faith actually comes in watching the students. And one of the things that we were working towards and we've, we're redoubling our efforts now is doing empathy interviews with students, with parents, with staff, really trying to understand the experience. I think we have made a lot of assumptions um, and I think that's not always been a, a accurate assumptions that we make on behalf of students. Um, one of the things that I believe strongly in is not doing things to people, doing things with people. So even if that means, you know, or it, I don't mean even. So that means I need to understand from my principals, what are the, what's their experience right now? And how can I come alongside and how can we support so they can get the work done so they can support their teachers who are also feeling overwhelmed and stressed out? And how can we look at doing things differently so that we can get better results for everybody? You know, that put on your own oxygen mask first, while the airlines might have invented that, I think education needs to really make sure that we are committed to that. Because if our teachers don't have anything in their well to give out, then our most neediest students won't get what they need. And I think we have to continue to partner with experts. I think we need to give ourselves a break and not try to be expert in everything. And I think we need to communicate with our legislators that we shouldn't be expected to be experts in everything. And so those we have some really phenomenal opportunities facing us. I think this is our chance to pivot from what was to, to what should be. And one of the phrases I shared with my cabinet this morning, I said, there's a reason your rear view mirror is much smaller than your windshield. We should spend a whole lot more time looking forward and looking at where we're going than we do looking behind at where we were. We should reflect, we should learn, and then we need to move forward. And Sh yeah. Shelly, if I can just add one thing, is you, so you said two, you said many things that were great, but there, there are two kind of big takeaways that I had, and I so appreciate you allowing me and, and uh, of course, Sarah and Anna allowing me to, to be part of this. But uh, when you talked about like um, the whole scalability, uh, you're like, hey, you talked about scalability, it makes sense. But there's a quote that I think is really so important for us as leaders. It's think big, start small, and scale fast. And I think those three things I really truly understanding that and then using that. So like many times we think big, like people may get they're like, how are we going to be able to do all these crazy things? Like we learned so much during COVID, what are we going to take? And there's all these big ideas. 
But just because you have a big idea, you shouldn't start big. And I think the whole starting small, whether it's with a pilot program or whatever, which is what there's so many things. I'll be calling you, Shelly, a parent. It's awesome. I'll be calling you on that one. Uh, but I think that's really important. And, and to close, I just I, I felt like saying that before and I did it. And so thanks for allowing me to share that. Well, and one more plug, Tom, uh, because we are the part of the way we lived out the think big, start small and then scale. Uh, we got some one time dollars, as many of us did, and we put together innovation grants for teacher teams. Mm -hmm. Again, because I feel like the people closest to the challenge have the best insight on how to approach it. And so we awarded the teams $10,000. All they had to do was come up with what's a problem, and it had to be based in some sort of data that you want to attack in an innovative way, and they're tracking it. And we have our, uh, we're going to be 100 years old. I'm not, the district will. Um, and our centennial celebration, we have our students doing design thinking challenges. And then we have our teachers sharing their innovation learning from these pilot programs that they did. And speaking of pilot, I have said we need to change our name to United because we have so many pilot programs going on. I really am wondering how we're tracking all of them to determine what to scale up. I as I was, I'm listening to the podcast, I just want to end with my thoughts on everything we've heard today, but the overall theme to me is, is getting creative to meet kids where they are, to think of creative programs, new ways of teaching and learning, um, and to lead with empathy. So we, we, I, I have to remember that myself in my everyday life, but just to constantly think about other people and what they've gone through and to rethink about situations and having that growth mindset. So thank you so much for, for coming on, you guys. We really appreciate it. Again, we, this is um, Tom Burton and Shelly Miramontes, and they are our two IEI members that we are so proud to have as members and part of the IEI family. So thank you for joining us on Education Thought Leaders. And if you had any questions about any of the information you heard or programs, please reach out to one of us at IEI and we will connect you with Shelly or Tom. Thank you so much. This has been Education Thought Leaders, brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation. The superintendents, we don't have peers in our We You can have people who support you, but no one's that's near us. Talking about shared solutions, talking about collaborating at a very, very high level. So coming here kind of gives you a little rejuvenation. That little pick-me-up superintendents and vendors from across the country and that the whole exploration and development of new partnerships is critical.